Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Two Vision. Eliminate blind spots and see right through every conversation with Happy Two Vision. Learn more at ajppitu.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Next in Q. My name is Rob Dwyer. And joining me today, we are reaching well across the pond because I am being joined by Bogdan Sadia Blaga from Romania. Welcome. How are you? Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we have to talk right out of the gate about your background. I get a lot of comments on my background, but we need to talk about your uh, what cork board, uh, pin board behind you. So, so tell me about uh, the nature of this board behind you. Yeah, I mean, it's um, when you have small kids and you have a lot of Lego pieces in the house, you start wondering what can I make, you know, how can I make the best use of them? So uh, I'm, I'm a fan of, uh, of pin boards as, as I call them, right? So stuff to hang, you know, quotes, pictures, whatever. So my idea was to build one out of Legos, boards and pieces and so on. So it's kind, it kind of developed in, uh, you know, through the, through the last month, actually. I started beginning of this year, the project. So um, I even have, I'm not sure if you see it there, is like um, the consultant's metrics, two by two. <laughs> it's just that <laughs> it's, you know, about life. So, but it turns out that you can pretty much build anything out of Lego pieces. So, and... Yeah, I'm not the one to tell you because I see what you have on your back. So, yeah. Well, I love that you've taken something, you know, a lot of the stuff that I have behind me are models, right, that someone else has designed, right? And so yeah. I built it. And what you've done, and this is, I think, the magic of Lego, is you've taken all of these pieces and created something entirely different for yourself and something that's that's useful uh, that you can enjoy. And so I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's not just a kid's toy, everyone. It's not just a kid's toy. And probably as some of my friends are telling me, we are buying the kids for the pieces for, you know, assumingly for our kids, but actually it's for us <laughs> to build them together. So yeah, probably that's more, that's closer to the truth. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's get started. Like, tell me where you grew up. Have you always lived where you live today? Not right here. So now I'm based in Cluj, which is, if I say the heart of Transylvania, I think it's easier for people. We don't really have vampires, so we are safe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I grew pretty much close by and I came in the current city to, to study. And since it's one, it's we like to think it's the second largest city in Romania nowadays, but definitely one of the most developed. So uh, it's uh, it's a place where you can find a job, you know, you can meet the love of your life and everything else. And uh, it's it's pretty amazing. And that's why I stayed here. Uh, I, did, is this where you met the love of your life? Yes. yes. Yeah. So how long have you been together? Um. As I like to think about it, soon it will be more years together than apart. So, but it's not, we are not quite there. So we have another like five years to go. So we've met uh, or we married in 2005. 
Wow. Well, congratulations. That's that's quite some time. Yeah. So you went to school for computer engineering. What what was the plan then? So when you were in college, where did you see yourself in 10 years? What what did you plan on doing? I mean, even before college, if I think about it, in, I started working or toying around rather with uh, with some sort of computers because it was not really a computer. It was more like a keyboard, a video or a tape recorder where you would load your games and just a normal <laughs> TV. But that was in my fifth grade. And I always thought I will be like a computer engineer or a computer programmer rather than engineer. So this is what I did in high school. This is what I did in college. It's just so, yeah, that was the vision, right? Or, you know, the long, long-term plan. The only thing is that I realized that, you know, maybe too much of a thing you like is not, is not good for <laughs> you. It's like, you know, I like to, to think about it like eating chocolate. So yeah, <laughs> chocolate is nice, but too much chocolate maybe is not good for you. <laughs> So as year, years passed and I, as I was going through college, um, I realized that the utility, the perceived utility of this was not, was not something I would, I would do long term. So then in nowadays terms, I pivoted <laughs> to something else and um, I said I will become a manager and whatever that means really, because I don't <laughs> think anyone has a good definition of it. But this is this is what I said I will do. At some point, I thought going and studying like economics or you know like business administration and so on. But my mother and God bless her that she said you know you started the college, just graduated, and you'll see what you'll do later. In the end, it's not like you need to really do that. So I took her advice again. Uh, thank <laughs> thanks to her, graduated, and then I started all sorts of jobs actually. Yeah, so what was what was the first job that you had out of college? Yeah, I mean, in Romania, we like to say the first official job because we all do all sorts of work, which is, you know, we are not normally employed, but through college, I build websites, all sorts of computer programs and so on. But the first job, first job was in a DUI retail chain in Romania, like Home Depot, definitely smaller, mm -hmm. but it was like a German company entering Romania. They had a, a mega store, a superstore in uh, in the capital city in Bucharest, and they were opening the second one in in Cluj, in my hometown by then. So um, they said, okay, you know, it's not like we need <laughs> engineers or computer programmers or anything else, but you still have a good chance to learn a lot about opening a business or starting up a business working with all sorts of suppliers because you needed to place orders, make sure the stocks, stock levels are always on mm -hmm. time and so on. And they did have a, an internal CRM, which was quite ancient by then, but uh, you know, I, I got to, to understand it quite okay. So uh, that was the first job, the first real job, let's say. Yeah, so were you doing any kind of customer facing roles or were you doing yes. more of the back office analyst or both? The, the, it was all also uh, all all. I mean, everyone was customer facing in the shop, right? So even the computers yeah. which we would use to place orders and so on were were on the floor, in the Got shopping it. area, right? So because you needed to help customers if needed, but that was uh, somehow I I realized that was probably one of the big lessons I had to learn, and I didn't do it in the past because if you are in front of a PC screen 
or more PC screens, but anyhow alone, you don't really understand how to interact with, with customers. And the customers mm -hmm. are the ones which really have the power or should have the power because they are buying or willing <laughs> to give you some money. Yeah. So that was a good, a good lesson, actually, quite early in my career. Yeah, I, I also studied computer science and I also thought I'm going to just write code and, and I really enjoy right, creating those solutions. But similarly, uh, I decided maybe that's not quite for me. And one of the things that I really love about um, where I ended up is that interaction with people, but it does take some practice particularly when you're trying to execute something on their behalf or looking up something and um, making sure that you're still interacting with them to create a great experience is, I think, a lesson that a lot of people first learn in retail. Like, that's where a lot of people first get that. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because you have some expectation of predictability when you write some software, right? Because you say, okay, if I key in a certain set of instructions, I will always, always get the same output. It's not always true, but in general, it happens, right? While with people, it's not like there is a recipe <laughs> on how to deal with them, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. You're absolutely right. You can uh, execute the same set of instructions, but with a different person, uh, the outcome can be very, very different based on a lot of variables that we're not necessarily privy to. Yep. So uh, after that, what came next for you? I mean, I would say I had um, a number of jobs all important but i wouldn't go through through the entire history because it's i'm i'm not so young anymore so there has been a number <laughs> of jobs but i i would stop to to a point in which i entered um the bpo industry the business process outsourcing mm -hmm. because romania romania became um a part of nato end of 2004 beginning of 2005 we were on track to become part of the european union so somehow a lot of companies in this services sector, IT and you know, business services in general, discovered that you know, there is a country here, not small, I mean, not small by European standards. So like 20 million people. So again, small by any US standard, but still decent in, in, in our terms, uh, with a quite okay educated workforce and especially important we were able to speak foreign languages. Foreign languages more like the East, uh, Western European, German, French, English, of course, Italian, Spanish. So this is how a lot of centers started up because you know, these companies came here and the company I'm talking about was, uh, was Jampact. It's US-based, but quite, quite a good heritage because it, was, it used to be an internal unit of General Electric based in India. Then they realized, hey, we are quite okay in doing all sorts of finance and accounting, procurement, all sorts of these services for us, for different GE units. So why don't we offer it to the bigger world? So this is how they started and uh, work with pretty much any, any customer. And in 2005, they came to Bucharest and two years later, they wanted to expand in inclusion. This is how I came into contact. I know I, I, I was working for a bank back then and my wife was saying, you're crazy. I mean, you know, banks were seen like 
the coolest jobs, you know, all days in suits, good pay and so on. And I was actually going as a team lead to a company which had no employees in Cluj. They, there were employees in Romania, but not in Cluj. And even slightly more in salary initially, because I said, you know, I'm willing to give up part of my, my salary because I, I think this is the future. And I'm right now looking back, you know, it's always easy when you look back. Yeah. But um, uh, would be nicer to be able to read the future, but you know, not we are not there yet. But looking back, it was the right decision because uh, from that point on, and really the culmination was Sykes Romania or Sykes Enterprises, which was a U.S. company, and uh, I got there really because of my of my uh, BPO experience, and I came to run the the Romania operations, one site, then more sites, and so on. So yeah. I, I think I took the right decision back then. So uh, we'll talk a little bit in the, the near future here about Rebel Dot, but it seems like you had a little bit of rebelliousness in you even then, right? To give up uh, what was probably seemed like a very stable banking job and go into a business that you didn't know with a company that was really in a startup phase even though it may not have been a startup company right it's in a startup phase and you're yep. building things from scratch what was like if you look back just on that experience what was the biggest lesson you took like early on in in really getting started with genpack i mean in the end there is no no replacement or no surrogate for hard work really. So, because yes, you know, we, I didn't know finance and accounting in general. I was working in a bank, but it was more like um, um, analysis, like a lot of more like spreadsheets and data modeling rather than, you know, understanding economics or finance and accounting. Uh, but then, because I really wanted to understand the processes we my teams would deliver, I really went with them through the training, being able to to build what we would call the SOPs, so the standard operating procedures, and that brought to me a lot of first of all a lot of work, but second of all a lot of respect from the clients because they they felt like I'm really looking into understanding their business and I care about their business more than yes, I'm the manager and, you know, my team will do your work and everything will be happy, will be okay. So that, that was really, really important if I look back now. Mm, yeah, that's very insightful. Put in the work and learn the business. That, that yeah. makes a huge difference. So yeah. with Sykes, uh, and I think uh, a lot of people uh, who listen to this show probably have heard of Sykes. Uh, now it's part of Cytel. Um, you were there for a really long time in a, in a couple of stints yep. and you really kind of grew your career pretty substantially there, but, um, where did you start when you came in with Sykes? Yeah. And you understand the business, right? I mean, that's one, definitely one thing we have, I mean, not one because we have the studies, but also you being part of Concentrics, you see how, you know, yeah. how the industry works, right? So also in these type of industries, it's, it's really dynamic. And yes, I came in as what we would call account manager. So 
which is really an ops manager because a new account was implemented in, in Romania. And I can say the name now because it's unfortunately not longer existing, but it was Yahoo. So the web portal, yeah. beautiful brand. We, you know, I think Romania was one of their bases anyhow of, of a, large, a large number of customers. The support was not for Romania itself. Romania was part of it, but definitely it was the rest of Europe, you know, the bigger mm -hmm. countries. Um, but this is how I came in as, as an account manager to implement the, pro the process, the project and so on. And uh, I, I applied the same, in the end, the same recipe. I really wanted to understand what, what we are expected to deliver, how we can do better, how we can continuously improve what we do. And um, I think that shows really, or it showed, and also my colleagues saw, because afterwards I got, I got the, um, the job of a site manager, as we called it. Meaning, you know, we had back then only two projects, but the other one was significantly larger. But as as we grew and as I uh, as time passed, we implemented more and more projects in Romania. So this is how uh, and open more sites in different cities and so on. So when I left, it was a team of two uh, thousand people and you know quite a sizable operation for as, again. I, I need to be <laughs> mindful that I'm talking about our region and you know two thousand people means nothing. To US standards, but still was was for for us was important. Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering, and and this is something that uh, we see on a very small scale in the US, but it's typically two or or three, and that's the languages, right? So in the US, often we'll we'll have a Spanish contingent. Um, we may have French if we're also servicing customers in Canada, for instance. But in Europe, right, things are very different from a language breadth perspective. What's the biggest challenge in managing uh, being able to handle all of these different languages for your customers? I, I wouldn't say the language or managing the people or the languages once you have the workforce but getting the workforce so really recruitment or attracting the talents that's the most that that was the most important thing for for us for me so even as a, as a country director if i look back probably on a daily basis i would talk to my recruitment manager of course you know different people reported into me a lot of ops people i would have regular meetings with the, with them but that would they would not be on a daily basis, right? So recruitment was the one task I would keep an eye on on a daily basis. And not in the bad sense, but we always needed to come up with new ideas, new places to recruit, in the end, new employee value proposition, because we understand and you know, as, as well as I do, that is not the dream job in the sense that if you don't really grow in the company, at some point you might need to move forward to another industry, another company, just because the level of pay is at some point kept, because that's mm -hmm. how the industry works. Um, but what we tried to convey to the people was, yes, we understand that for some of you, probably most of you will be just an entry level job. But if you do it properly and you learn all the soft skills, mainly because the hard skills, yes, you can find them, but the soft skills part of it you will be successful in any industry, in any job, in any company. And those companies will be willing to pay a premium for your skills. And again, not the hard skills, not the fact that you know to log in or type in very fast, 
but the fact that you know how to speak to a client, you know to deal with pretty much any situation, and if you are able to leave, or you know after every interaction with you, people to feel better than how they started. Maybe they are still angry, but you know slightly less angry. <laughs> that's that's a really really something people would pay for you to bring into their companies. Yeah. So, and I think this is, if I look to how many people from, from Sykes Romania and Sykes in general, but now I'm talking about uh, Sykes Romania, went to all sorts of good jobs, better paid and so on. I think we, we did a good job. It, it was just a matter of people having a little bit of patience because I don't think like six months in a job is enough time to really understand. Yes, you get to scratch the surface a little bit, but it's not like you are really mastering all these interactions. And when I say interactions, of course, a lot of them were phone calls and so on, but not only, all sorts of channels like chat, email, social media. Yeah. So you get to be savvy or digitally savvy in a lot of channels and types of interactions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that, right? So uh, you spent really the last decade in the BPO industry, and that was a time of, of pretty significant change from a technology standpoint and from a channel standpoint. Um, what was the most exciting thing that that you saw or got to implement as as that? whole ecosystem was evolving i'll tell you one which made me excited and also one which really it, it was a big promise but never materialized actually so uh, but in in terms of um, of the biggest shift this is what i and at some point omni channel was more like a buzzword but if i look deeper the fact that there was a channel for each preference, each customer preference was beautiful. So even brands which would traditionally say, hey, look, if you want something from us, you need to call us. They opened more and more channels and they were open to interact with people on social media, any social media, basically, WhatsApp, you know, all the all sorts of platforms. So as as a client or as a customer or a user, you would have a chance if I like WhatsApp or Signal, I'll go via that channel. And the good, the let's say the, the strategies implemented well were the ones in which you didn't need to switch the channel because that was the key, right? I mean, if you would have all these channels only as an entry point, that's one thing, not bad, but still, if at some point through the process you would say, yeah, now we really need to verify your identity, so please call us. <laughs> that was, I mean, channel switching was like, no, no, you know, you don't do that. So. <laughs> but again, I think the fact that more and more channels, because when I started, basically phone was like 95% inbound, right? So we did less about bound, more like follow-ups and so on, but inbound was 95%. If I look back now, phones, depending on, there were problems with which had no phone, unless you really wanted, but you know, most people, because the, the type of customer was not channel loving, uh, not, not phone loving. So, you know, they, they, they started balancing out for channels. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, I think sometimes we, we put the, the cart before the horse when it comes to technology. And uh, there are certainly, 
was a time when this and, and maybe we're still in this time because I still see it occasionally this rush to open up channels without really having the full breadth of of the platform backing behind it to make sure that I can really service all of your needs within this particular channel. And if I need to switch, make that a seamless experience, because often that if that switch is really kind of clunky and it's like, okay, well, we need to stop this and you're just going to have to start over over here. And that's just not a great experience for anyone. True. I mean, I, I had a colleague and he was he was brilliant in saying like, because the term, the term of the day was always effortless, right? And and Bo, he said, man, if the guy or the person has to call us or send us an email or whatever, that's not effortless. That's already effort put in to contact you. You can definitely make it frictionless or you know, with as little friction as possible. And yes, that can make a difference, but effortless is more like doesn't exist because you still need to put some effort in, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I want to say actually not one, but two things which didn't materialize as I would, I and my colleagues would expect. And one is self-service because at some point it was all like, yes, we will move to self-service. I, I was thinking even the other day, like, why didn't self-service catch so i mean why wasn't it successful because in the end who better than the user him or herself knows better what's expected but i really think the the downside there was that the technology was not was not where it should be because you cannot say yes self-service but only tasks one two three and for the rest you need to contact us you know so that that's where and along the same lines are the chatbots, let's call them chatbots, can be any sort of bot, which for the same reasons that you cannot really implement the full service, they didn't, or I didn't feel they are, they are, uh, they got the right adoption, let's call it, or the expected adoption. Yeah. But a lot of technologies don't, you know, are maybe not mature enough. And later on, you realize that, yeah, actually that's the future. So I wouldn't rule them out. But I think before implementing either self-service or some sort of bot automation, um, you need to be prepared to, to offer the full or at least the main type of contacts or issues people would contact you for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very important and very insightful. And I think you're right. The technology sometimes, again, we, we rush into it before it's not quite mature there. I remember... Uh, my first smartphone ran uh, Windows 2000, I think, and it was a, a little flip phone. And uh, it worked on 3G, which was really, really slow. Uh, and it just wasn't quite ready for prime time. I, I liked things about it, but it was really not the experience that one would consider a smartphone experience and I actually went back to non-smartphones after that and really it wasn't until you know kind of the mid-2000s when the iPhone and Android came out that things really started to change in that ecosystem um, 
So yeah, very interesting. Well, on, on the other hand, I think there is also a lesson here because I, I got, I would say the chance, it didn't feel like a chance, but for a short while, because we used to have a Nokia factory, like a mobile phone factory next mm -hmm. to Cluj. And at some point it was still outsourcing. So also a, another client facing role for me, but um, I was running the, the, the site for the logistics partner, the, the partner which was doing uh, basically inbound logistics and the warehousing because the production was just in time and you know we would get orders to ship the spare parts to the production lines. Uh, it was not, I, I mean, I stayed less than a year there because it, by the time I started really enjoying it, the company got sold, Microsoft acquired it, a lot of factories were, were closed. But the lesson here, to your point is, yes, there, there was a technology coming out. They didn't really believe in that, right? In the factory, at least with the people I was talking, they didn't feel like touch screens will be the future. Who would give up, you know, the normal keyboard and stuff like this? And yeah, we know <laughs> how the story ends yeah. for them, right? So probably yeah, dismiss a little bit, but you know, still keep an eye on my, what might come come in the future. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. I feel like we're um, certainly looking at the possibility. I, I mean, I see all of what is going on with uh, crypto and NFTs, and I really think we're at kind of the initial surge there was probably over exuberant and people are doing things that uh, may not last but that doesn't mean necessarily that the underlying technology doesn't have applicability once we really figure out like what's the best way to use this i don't know that we're there yet but it might be coming uh soon and it's just a matter of paying attention to how we can find the best use and then really see things take off yeah and we would love i mean even and uh, probably if i think about my current job at rebel.dot we have a team which is doing like blockchain development mm -hmm. and especially nowadays because for some reasons the projects seem to be influenced by the price of bitcoin which makes no sense because as you say that the underlying technology is still sound and valid but somehow, you know, people see, they get scared and we don't really have as many projects as we would expect at this point. On the other hand, we still invest in that teams and we keep bringing on people in the team because we feel like, yes, we didn't quite, we and the market didn't quite mm -hmm. figure what's the best use of this technology, but there's definitely not something to throw away and, you know, just say it's another fed and, you know, move away. So yes. Yeah, I mean, I think we, until we figure it out, we'll keep investing. And yeah, one day we might just say, you know, it was a bad investment because it happened. But I don't think, and none of my colleagues feel that this will not be actually something big in the future. It's just a matter of find, finding the right utility, I would call, I would say. Mm -hmm. yeah. So today, you're the chief digital experience officer at at rebel dot um so you've been there not not quite a year and this comes on the heels of of being uh with sykes for for a really long time what what led you to rebel dot and to make that change and because this is a a little bit different of a role for you yeah i mean first of all the job title is 
it's it's too fancy <laughs> really it, <laughs> it, it is it is i mean first of all because we are not that type of company so i was joking when i when i joined that probably the best job title would be rebel wannabe then i just felt that some of the clients might feel like you know who the hell is this guy so <laughs> i said okay let's pick something which you know tells a little bit more about my corporate background but for the rest of it we are really a non first of all non-pyramidal type of company and second of all we are not we don't take us so seriously to call us fancy titles um it's it's a very nice company to be honest i mean of course one of the reasons i decided to leave sykes in general was because it got acquired by Cytel, and uh, not because Cytel or any other company but you know acquisitions are complicated and it's it's really one one year and nine days which tells you a lot how i keep track since the initial announcement it was a friday our ceo chuck sykes said like um some sort of like um all company meeting like but like the invite was one hour before and we said okay something big is going to happen you know we had all sorts of scenarios like he will say he steps down or you know he brings someone else you know all sorts of scenarios mm -hmm. but none of them <laughs> was like the company will get sold um and i remember one of the first things i told my team is you cannot say much right because the the information is scarce you have like you know this is what we can say especially being a publicly listed company we cannot share too much because there are certain rules and obviously makes sense and i found a book which was which is emotions in mergers and acquisitions and I said, guys, if you want to read it, because I have a copy and, you know, let's look at it and understand that the next period will be really interesting until the transaction eventually closes and even afterwards. And it was complicated that the transaction closed the end of August, so beginning of beginning of September. And then I realized that, look, it's, it's not something I see myself doing or going forward, doing going forward, because uh, obviously the new the, the acquiring company had certain expectations and you know if they are not aligned they're not aligned in the end we are still mature people and we can say okay let's shake hands and you know each mm. each goes uh, his own path um yeah so i think acquisitions or mergers and acquisitions have a, a complication because especially imagine the new the resulting company was 155,000 people worldwide so each of those people have some sort of emotions right and the closer you are probably to the decision centers and more you see there are bigger chances that you don't really feel like you know this is how we work up until now and Sykes was Sykes was a brilliant company in the sense that uh, our CEO Chuck Sykes always said look we we have this federated model it's like US so mm -hmm. Yes, obviously, there are certain rules, regulations, like the federal level, but then each state, and in our case, each country, needs to run the business considering the local particularities and the way you feel it's best in the end for the shareholders to run the business. And that was beautiful, right? I mean, it was no top-down approach. No, of course, you still had the budget, you need to deliver but a lot of autonomy was in this job and uh, 
I didn't feel this will be the case going forward, and that's why I joined. But I knew Rebel.Dot. I knew Tudor, the founder of Rebel.Dot. Uh, I met him a couple of times before. And uh, I, I liked what, what he managed to do because it was some sort of, the company grew very fast for, from like 20, 30 people, then 70, then 150. And then probably this year we will be, if everything goes according to the plan, 250. So it's, it's not something you do only by chance, right? Of course, chance yeah. is always important, but you still need to be able to deliver value to the clients which are willing to pay you. So this is what they did and this is how they grew. And I felt with my corporate background, I can help, first of all, structure a little bit some of the things which were uh, more in startup mode, but more importantly, using my customer focus to really uh, expand the lines of business in the sense that not only to build, like do the initial ass assessment of the, of the software and build the, the UX UI interface and the product, but also help with the post launch. Because there, there is one thing which is happening in Romania, the prices, the salaries are going up. So we become more and more expensive, again, not to the US standards, but compared to what mm -hmm. we used to be a couple of years ago. And the more we feel, the more you can deliver in a project, the overall cost and the value to the, to the client goes up. Because if you are a startup and you come to us for the MVP, that's fine. But what if we don't stop when we give you the keys, so to speak, you know, the, the, the password to the Git repository where the <laughs> software stands, but what if we help you launch it help you a little bit, especially with the, with the uh, we were talking social media, but besides social media, there is a lot of activity in the stores, in the, in the like Apple store, in the app store, sorry, in the Play store and so on, because you launch an app, people start downloading it. And at some point you realize, oh, my rating is 3.6. What happened? But did you reply to those 10 initial people which said, Hey, your app doesn't work with my Android operating system. And it's nothing to do with your app, but the, since you don't manage because you have so many things in your mind. So we want to be able to really help them. And in this case, guard this, we, we call it uh, the, being the guardian of the app application reputation, but that's really important. And of course we will never be another Sykes or another big company. So when they get the traction, they would need to go to the company is doing this, but for the initial launch, I think it's really, really important to be there for them. Yeah, so and that that's the context. Sorry, sorry for speaking too much. No, now, but... no, don't ever apologize for for uh, talking about what you're passionate about. I love that. This is something that that I've run into a lot, right? Where uh, a company is, they think they're ready to outsource, but they're not really right they don't have the scale yet and it seems like a really great value add for you guys to kind of bridge that gap so that they've got some additional support and you mentioned right and i think we're all feeling this it doesn't matter where we live at this point right inflation is is hitting everywhere and everything and so if you can mitigate that by really offering something unexpected that helps you stand out in a potentially a crowded field so that's that's really fantastic
And we, we also noticed something for, for the existing projects in which there is like a bug, but it's not really a, a software bug, but something related to how the app interacts or the web app interacts with, especially we have, for example, a parking app and, you know, all sorts of hardware in the market. So you cannot really test on all of them, right? And if you start using developers to fix, because yeah, you can isolate one issue and then you fix it, but that's not really highly technical. So you can also do it with some sort of level three in our you know, previous world uh, type, of, uh, type of naming, but that's definitely less expensive than a developer, which probably would be happy to wake up in the midnight uh, during the night, but still you need to pay developer rates, not level three yeah. rates. So all, all, all these things add up. And uh, yeah, I think it can, uh, it can really make Rebel.Dot a different type of company. We, are, we feel we are different in many ways, but this is another way we would like to be different by you know, delivering more than the typical, typical company. Mm, yeah, very interesting. So one of the things I wanted to just uh, touch on in the in the time that we have left is, uh, you know, for those that aren't uh, really strong on their European geography, uh, you're in uh, north northwestern Romania, but yep. the, the northeastern part of the country shares a border with Ukraine. And I think we all know kind of what's happening over there. Um, what, if any, impact has that had on, on business? Mm -hmm. um, and certainly as a company, we're, <laughs> like you're at this new company and things are um, uh, going on there. Have you seen an impact there? And kind of what's the general feeling in Romania? I mean, it, it was um, like like with any situation, there are good things and bad things. And the bad things, I think we all we all understand, are the humanitarian crisis which is happening, right? Because even thinking how it would be to, you know, not getting hurt but having to run in an air shelter, whatever, um, during the night, I don't think it's comfortable. Not even thinking about it, right? So. That's something which we saw as, as it started. Um, and a lot of uh, Ukrainian refugees entered Romania through the northern part. Of course, a lot of them went to other countries, especially Poland and so on. Um, so the stories they would bring are not nice, right? So not an expert, you know, I'm doing all the disclaimers now, whatever I'm saying is my only, my, my personal opinion and so on, but you wouldn't expect in this time and this in this era to not be able to resolve a crisis no matter what sort through talking and negotiation right so that's still striking us like how can it be that it cannot be solved whatever that is right so uh, in that sense the humanitarian crisis is bad a lot of companies including ours i think did did immensely right by donating money all sorts of equipment needed equipment like civilian equipment of course mm -hmm. for for the border parts for the refugees as, as they were coming you know sheltering people giving them a lot of friends which run airbnbs and all sorts of small businesses are letting if you are from ukraine you stay here for free unlimited and stuff like this so that was in a sense it was a good test of solidarity with the country 
uh, on the business side, we got more leads, I have to admit, because a lot of companies, especially the ones which were not, uh, not from this area and didn't know what's going on, started looking for, for other options or at least a backup option, let's say. Mm-hmm. Because um, it's interesting now as time passes, people are getting more and more used to what's going on and the number of leads or potential leads related to Ukraine has decreased because people are feeling it's, you know, it's not that bad. And mm. probably is not that I, I think uh, people there really tried to keep um, to keep up the work and I don't know how they did it, but it looks like they keep delivering projects and I guess they have a, um, an issue or, you know, some software companies from Ukraine reached out even to us saying, hey, we would have developers available. So I guess the inflow of new projects is is lower, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. once you uh, concluded the project there, probably you would look for another option if you are, let's say, uh, from Western Europe or US. Um, but for, for the rest of it, I think it's still a pity if I look back that, we got here and it's still a pity that it's going on yeah it's less on tv i don't know uh, it, it's a funny thing that um as the news broke and as the conflict started i started informing our especially our u.s clients about what's going on and you know the fact that romania is part of nato and you know we have backup procedures in place should anything happen and they always thank me in the sense that great that you are telling us that there is a sense of normality because what we see here on tv is like it's the end of the world which is not the case right i i reached out for example to all my connections on linkedin which are from ukraine offering to help if if they need it i mean guys technically couldn't leave the country because you know they were uh, bound to go to army but families and so on and a lot of them said no no we manage here so we are not in in the tough conflict areas so we will manage staying here so it's still not normal i think but since we see less and less on tv i don't know what's what's the real status Mm. now yeah yeah i think the same is true here right our our attention spans are um shorter and shorter and 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 there's always there's always other news right and um what was what was big uh, months ago, maybe a little bit, uh, not as much in the forefront, uh, particularly when it's not in your front yard or backyard, right? Um, and and it's certainly not in our backyard because we're so far removed from it. So I feel like we don't hear nearly as much about it as, as we did many months ago. But that's a very interesting perspective and, and thank you for sharing Um, I got got a chance just to say this because um, one of my other passions is data privacy and just because we had GDPR coming into Europe in 2018 Mm -hmm. and a lot of our clients were you know wondering what the hell it is and I did some trainings and I come to love it and actually the World Privacy Summit is taking place in DC each year in April and since I didn't travel a lot with COVID and everything else, I said, I'm going, you know, <laughs> any chance to go somewhere would, would be really <laughs> nice. But the, the summit is brilliant. I mean, for example, one of the keynote speakers was Tim Cook. So that level of attendance, right? And people from all over the world. But since it was in DC and I felt like, you know, politics is on every street corner there. And I, I asked a lot of people, how do you see the conflict and so on? And 
indeed it was a lot of what what I would see on TV the evening before. This is what would they what they would relate, and there was even um, some sort of protest or awareness um, uh, meeting outside the White House, but with like 20, 30 people with Ukrainian flags. So not a huge movement, mm -hmm. let's call it like this. So I really felt indeed the distance <laughs> makes it a little bit difficult to feel what's really, really going on. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. Well, Bogdan, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and learning about you and your journey and about Rebel Dot. I, I know our time is short, so I really appreciate you joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rob. I mean, really, it's 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 unexpected. I told you on LinkedIn that it's unexpected that you would uh, you would have me. But um, next in queue sounds sounds really really cool. Even you know, from a IT perspective, from a computer science perspective, because we would do all sorts of queues, list, stack, heaps, right? <laughs> so yeah. queue is 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 a key structure for computer scientists. Yeah.